Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican Communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. You write your own story. What stories do you want the congregation to tell about your time among them? And so for the leader, the work is to get clear with oneself. What do I want? The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And there is always going to be more work than you can do. The Living Church. Serving the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to the Living Church Podcast. Welcome, podcast listeners. Today, we kick off the season of Ordinary Time with discussion about some very ordinary things. Emails, to-do lists, who is going to get the donuts and coffee today. In ministry, there are so many details, ordinary details to attend to, and we know that they matter. That's not up for dispute. But when ordinary details, daily tasks pile up, it may be time to step back and say, okay, it's not that I'm too good for any of this stuff. I agreed to be a servant, but something's got to give. In Acts, of course, we have this wonderful story of the apostles realizing there's too much on their plates and then reorganizing with a group of deacons. Moral of the story, delegation, efficiency, and task management can let you do more in the church, let you do more of the right things in the right way. But sometimes, frankly, they can let the Holy Spirit do more too. Today's episode is part two of an episode we aired last year with Father Aaron Zimmerman of St. Albans Episcopal Church on executive functioning as a pastor. One of our listeners heard the episode and wrote in with some follow-up questions that I thought were great about emails, time management, delegation, and stress. So I invited Aaron back on the show by popular demand, along with the Reverend Canon Kimberly Filer, a church planter and ombudsman for the ACNA Diocese of C4SO, who also knows a lot about keeping it together, staying sane, and trusting God when you're the one in charge. In fact, Kimberly joined the podcast from an airport between flights and still had wise thoughts to string together in a coherent way. That is a skill and a grace indeed. Father Aaron Zimmerman is rector at St. Albans Episcopal Church in Waco, Texas. He is past president of the board of directors of Mockingbird Ministries and is currently the dean for the Northwest Convocation of the Diocese of Texas. 
He also co-hosts the Same Old Song Lectionary Podcast with the Reverend Jacob Smith. The Reverend Canon Kimberly Filer is a church planter at St. Luke Medical District in Dallas, Texas, an ombudsman for the Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others, where she develops training and policies to prevent abuse in the church. She serves as the chairman of the board for the Matthew 25 Initiative for Justice and Mercy. And as a bivocational priest, she is also vice president at Now Vertical Group, which provides advanced analytics for enterprise clients. Now, whether you are putting down your to-do list for a second, kicking up your feet on your desk with a second cup of joe, or you're multitasking like a boss while you listen to this episode, we hope you enjoy the conversation. Kimberly, this is Aaron. Aaron, this is Kimberly. <laughs> and of course, I brought you on today to talk about your areas of expertise and your wisdom in executive functioning for pastors. But also, I just really brought you on for your vibes because you both have really good vibes. And I thought that you might vibe together. Hey, Kimberly, nice let the vibing you. begin. <laughs> yes, exactly. And today's episode is really interesting because I did not come with my own questions today. I came with questions that are from a listener who wrote in and who said, I am a Presbyterian pastor enjoying this podcast, but I have a few questions that I think could help anybody in ministry who is struggling with keeping things straight. So could you please do a part two to the episode that you did with Father Aaron Zimmerman? And I said, of course. So I'm just going to launch right into these questions that the listener brought to the table. I think they're great. So the first question is about emails. Emails, exclamation point. Can't pastor with them, can't pastor without them. Can your guests share more about how they keep from drowning in their inboxes? How do they manage the always rising tide of emails? Well, I kind of, I laughed when I saw that because I'm actually seeing fewer and fewer emails and I can't get my congregation members to read my emails, but what's happening for me are texts. I'm getting just, just drowning in texts. And there, there are so many fewer, you know, sort of organizational uh, tools for handling texts. But either way, I think the, whether it's emails or texts, it's true. There's just too many. And so the truth is, I don't try to answer emails or texts as they come in. Um, in fact, I have, I turned my notifications off because I found it really hard to be present in the moment with notifications coming in from all my devices. And so instead, I try to set a couple of times each day when I can focus on emails and texts, and then I have time to sit down and read the whole string and send a thoughtful answer. Um, and sometimes, which is always the best for me, a string will have taken care of itself even before I answer it. So that's my favorite. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, my, my, my advice is turn off all email notifications, schedule a couple of times a day when you will answer emails. And then be faithful about that. Also, use email rules to screen the noise. If you can sit down with something like Outlook or for your, your email service provider is, and use the rules to set up folders and prioritization so that you know which folders to start with. And then my last sort of pro tip is to create templates for your go-to responses. So you probably have the same parishioners asking the same questions every week. Keep something in your draft folder so that you can cut and paste and send it out. And it's your words. It's just as thoughtful as the first time you wrote it. 
and you can tweak it to make it sound relevant to that person, but you're not starting from scratch every single time. Hey, Aaron, what would you add? Would you take similar tax or do you take a different tack on this? Uh, I take mostly similar. I would second the motion to turn off all notifications and even turn off the little red badge on your mail icon that shows you how many unread <laughs> messages you have because uh, it's so, yeah, just turn that off. So yeah. that's one thing that I do. But yeah, I the only thing on my phone that is allowed to notify me are text messages, and that's it. Definitely not email. The other thing I do is the rule that I have, and this is the only rule that I have in my inbox, which is anything that contains the word unsubscribe, it is then automatically marked as read and archived. If ever I want to go see what the spring specials are in J. Crew, I can go to my archive and find it. But I'm not tempted to think that that's something that deserves any of my mental energy today. The other thing that I do is I have no, this is one thing where I am maybe different from Kimberly. I don't use folders at all. I have, I have three folders, essentially, inbox, trash, and archive. So I used to, a long time ago in my early email days, have folders, and it took almost as much time to keep them organized. And now in the, in the days when there wasn't a powerful search feature, it made sense to find things. These days, since there's powerful email search features, it's just not necessary, in my opinion, to have folders. I never had time to organize them anyways. So there's that. The one thing I'll say also with the templates, I do that, and I keep it as a signature. I tend to use Apple's built-in mail application a lot and you can but any any email program will have different signatures you can use i've got my standard one but then i've got one signature that is called meeting request and when i choose that signature the whole thing just says i'd love to meet thank you for reaching out and i've copied my assistant on this and she'll set up a time that works for both of us sincerely aaron and the only thing i add is the person's name dear so and so and then hillary will take care of that and now i know that there are many people that don't have an administrative person, but even just having that email typed out, and maybe you then add in, here are the following times I can meet. That way, the only thing you're adding to that email is the name of the person, and then here are the times. Of course, other people use apps that have a scheduling thing built into it, so that's another mm -hmm. thing. But so if, if there's like a, a URL that that can go to, then maybe you just say, thank you for reaching out click this link and set up a time. Any way you can have that standardized response, I think is great. The other little email tip I would say is for any clergy, when you are going on vacation or on a retreat or something like that, when you set up your vacation autoresponder, it should say something like, thank you for your email. I'm on vacation. It will never be read. Please contact me upon my return on this date. Don't set yourself up to have a bunch of emails when you get back to the office. And the rule that's set up is to mark it as read, move it to the archive, and reply with this message. So again, it does take a little bit of setup, but I mean, what are we talking five minutes to avoid like that incredible crushing weight of anxiety upon your return when you find 500 messages in your box or the temptation to check while you're away. So those are my email things. There is one thing I haven't tried but want to, which is called Superhuman, which is something you can sign up for. It's a, it's kind of a new startup where apparently you go through a, a half hour long training. I think it costs 30 bucks a month, so I'm not recommending it because I haven't tried it, but I do know some clergy that use Superhuman and it involves a 30 minute training on using keyboard shortcuts plus their own built-in kind of mail application that apparently makes dealing with email 
incredible, but I've not tried it. So it's on the list. Okay, awesome. And I'll include superhuman in the show notes. And I may also include Calendly because yes, I work yeah. with a career. Co- okay, you're both nodding. I, I work yeah. with a career yeah. coach. And whenever I need to do anything with her, she it may even be an automated email comes straight back to me with a Calendly link. And then it's up to me to schedule a time all the time she's available are already there. And every time I use it, I think to myself, this must save her hours of work every single week yep. in scheduling. Yep. So oh, the other thing I'll too. say is, and I, I might have said this on our last conversation, Amber, is that I, after my sabbatical came back and realized that I needed to carve out a day in my schedule of having no meetings. Because if there's a day in my week that is no meetings, not my day off, but another day. So for me, it's Fridays. And that tends to be the day that I can begin to get through the inbox and deal with the things that need responses. Now, there are some things that come in via email, and they're almost like texts where you just need to respond really quickly. And I those typically tend to be emails from staff about certain you know planning things and just need a, a thumbs up, thumbs down, something from me. And I can get to those pretty quickly over the course of the week, sort of in the in-between times. But having Friday as a day to kind of go through and make sure I've gone through all things. That is something that has been valuable to me. And I'll say finally that I am not perfect at my own system. And there are plenty of things in my inbox that fall through the cracks. So giving yourself grace, none of us are perfect. That's great. You know, I have a follow-up question as someone who emails clergy a lot. Sometimes I come across this, the, the staff page and I'll click contact or I'll click the email icon and instead of taking me to Outlook or giving me an email address, it takes me to a contact form. Now, as someone in journalism and also who has a lot of relationships with clergy, this drives me nuts because it's I have no record that I sent the message. It's very impersonal. I can't go back and send a nudge. I just have to send it. I don't know if either of you have ever worked with a contact form versus posting your email address on a site. But I do wonder whether you have an opinion about advantages that that might offer. I haven't ever tested it in terms of user behavior. So I haven't ever run it side by side to see which one is more appealing for parishioners. On the back end, they operate very similarly. So if you're the person receiving the emails, um, it ends up being an email in your box. But I hear you that it doesn't leave you with a the notification that you have contacted that person. So it makes that follow up hard. So we have one of those dreaded forms. I apologize, but sorry, not sorry, because <laughs> the reason we have that is because clergy are the subject of a lot of spamming. So if mm. you come to St. Albans, you'll get a copy of our bulletin on the back. It does list email addresses, including email addresses for all the clergy. And so that sort of makes that signal to the congregation. If you're part of this congregation, we want you to be able to get a hold of us. But on our website, which can be accessed by you know everybody anywhere all the time, we do make you click a little button that says contact. And you can do that for each person on the staff. And again, it's just so we don't get phishing, spear phishing, all that sort of stuff which is kind of more and more of a problem. So that's why we have it. We feel like this is a sort of necessary evil. Oh, by the way, we do have an email address that is just a generic email for the whole, like it's just mm. St. Albans at stalbansweco.org. Yeah. So if you want to send an email, that will go to the parish administrator or someone on <clears> our staff and they'll get back to you that way. And that will find its way to the person. So we try to, that's, that's our compromise. That's great. Okay, let's move on to question number two. 
This one is delegation, exclamation point. How? What are the secrets? What are the pitfalls? So can you help people listening learn a little bit more about how delegation can work when a lot's coming across your desk, you're trying to be a caring person who's being responsive. It's a struggle to know what to prioritize. You know, as we said earlier, I'm, I'm a bivocational clergy person. I work for a publicly traded company during the week. And so conversations about delegation are pretty common there. I don't love the term for ministry because it's often people-oriented, and I don't like the idea that we delegate people. And most churches are flat organizations with very little duplication in roles. We wish that we had, you know, many different two or three layers or two or three people doing the same thing, but most don't in today's world. And so if you're one of those people, it's, it's less for me about delegation and more about clearly giving responsibility and authority to members of the ministry team. So in this case, instead of delegating a task or delegating something, you're delegating authority and you're, you're saying, I'm not going to be responsible for this. This is going to be your responsibility. And the challenge there is that each person then on the ministry team, whether they're paid or volunteer, and I know that a lot of your listeners are church plants or small churches with lots of volunteers. Even if they're volunteers, they have to have clearly defined roles. Like they have to know that that is their their gig, that they're responsible for it. If they don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. And understand that there are expectations about response times, about what they're going to handle based on the combination of their gifting and what the church needs. So making sure that you've carefully said, this, this role is yours and I'm not going to do it. You're going to do it. And then making sure that they have, that they're equipped. So they have training or development or coaching to be fully equipped in that role so that you're not taking things on because they're not getting done, but you're focusing your time on equipping the people to do it well. And that takes a, it takes a bit of patience and a willingness to, to engage in messiness and, and understand that some things aren't going to go well. There are lots of things that you can do better than someone on your staff can do. But the fact is you can't do everything. And it's only by making mistakes and trying new things and learning that they're going to grow and be able to take those things on. And so being willing to accept the messiness of someone else handling those things is important. The other thing I see often in, in my diocesan role then is that those jobs get created. Many times people don't clearly define what the jobs are. They'll say you're the children's minister, but not go into what the tasks are for the specific church as an example. So getting really crisp about that and then providing feedback loops. So people need feedback all the time. And, and so often churches are bad at this because we always want to be nice and we see criticism as not nice. So we fail to see the constructive role in, in providing feedback and helping people to learn and grow. And so being willing to give check-ins and say, hey, this is, this is going well, or this is not going well. How do you feel it's going? Is it going well for you? Keeping an open dialogue and then intentionally creating times where you circle back and do that outside of the day-to-day -day grind is important too. And so 
in in my mind, that's the key that by investing the time and developing strong ministry partners, then you make sure that your congregation has the care they need and you have the support you need on a regular basis. Hey there, podcast listener. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you probably know that The Living Church is not just a podcast. Oh no, my friend. TLC is a publishing ministry with a unique magazine, independent church news reporting, a stellar theology blog, resources for parish ministry, many of them free. I could go on. Stop me now. Stop me now. We're rooted in the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion, but we have a big heart for the unity of all God's people. You know that I love that you're here, but I don't want you to just stay in the podcast space and miss out on other ways our ministry might serve you. You can go to livingchurch.org and see what all TLC offers. How can we serve you today? One way we might serve you is coming up in September. We're hosting an event with an amazing community of friends at All Souls Episcopal Church in Oklahoma City, a conference called The Human Pilgrimage. What does it mean to be human? How do we live fully as creatures loved, limited, and liberated by God? Join The Living Church September 26th to 28th in Oklahoma City and be refreshed by three days of world-class keynotes, friendship, and meditation on who we are as creatures in Christ. Right now, you also get 15% off all tickets with the promo code EARLYBIRD. Go to livingchurch.org forward slash events for more information and to buy your tickets. And I hope to see you there. I wonder if I could add a little bit of complexity. So when this guy said, what are the pitfalls? I thought of situations that I've seen or experienced. One would be you're in a parish where it's hard to find volunteers that are really dedicated or organized or really wanting to do these things that you need done, that you do need to share or delegate. And then another pitfall, which is related, is that there may be something that you need to get done, but either the frequency with which it's not getting done well, or you realize kind of at the last minute that it's not going to get done or it's not going to get done well, and you're nervous that the church is going to look goofy, or that even your ability to preach the gospel to a certain audience is going to be impaired. And these are the thoughts going through your mind, like, oh man, you know, somebody didn't do fill in the blank. This, this newcomer's lunch is totally going to fall through and people are not going to come back, for example. And then also related, I mean, there may be some things that you never delegate other than like celebrating the Eucharist, like don't delegate that unless it's an ordained person, but, or bab, you know, baptizing people, sacraments, things like that. But are there other things that you should never delegate. So some of the some of the pitfalls of delegation and avoiding them. How often should you be willing to be embarrassed or to fail? And how long should you put up with struggles with volunteers? Yeah, well, I think creating safe places for failure is part of the job role discussion. So anticipating that there are going to be times when someone messes up, making sure that the things you're giving them are have an acceptable level of risk. 
or that they understand the consequences of failure on their part. Because the, the temptation is to say, if it's going to fail, then I'll just take it back over myself. But what you do then is completely undermine the responsibility and the authority of the other person and train them to always rely on you. And then you you both undermine their ability to operate in their ministry and sabotage yourself. Yeah. So giving responsibility to other people as a blessing, as a teaching tool, but also as a blessing to them. That seems very important. Aaron, what would you add to this? Yeah, I think delegation, like email, is one of those things where we're always learning and getting better. And it's, you know, the the question is sort of like, what are the secrets? As if there's like a magic bullet to this or something. And I think with all these things, there's some level of messiness. But there are ways to do it better and ways to do it not as well. I think one of the things that has been really helpful for me with delegation is building in the feedback loops that Kimberly talked about. So, and making them a regular thing. So there's likely, whether it's staff or volunteers, certain people that you will be, that are sort of on your core team of leadership type people. I found that having a regular standing meeting with them, whether it's weekly or monthly, to make sure that there is a place for that feedback loop. So I'm not catching them after church on Sunday and saying, hey, that thing you did, that really sucked. Even if I say it as nicely (laughs) as possible, it's going to come across as just sort of a zinger, a shot across the bow or something in not really the appropriate setting or time for them to ask questions or to have a back and forth about it. So if I've got a key team of leaders, hopefully I'm meeting weekly or monthly with them. And if it's a really key person that I'm delegating a lot to, then that's going to be a weekly meeting. And we can go through in the context of that meeting where there's opening and closing with prayer, where there's sharing of successes and challenges, all those Mm -hmm. sorts of things. And I think if you do that regularly, that also not only provides a good feedback loop at the end, but it also allows you to set up at the beginning, hopefully to avoid those public and spectacular humiliations that come through when you just say, hey, I would like you to run the pancake supper. And then you give them no instructions about what that's supposed to look like. Like that is a recipe for disaster. So, and poorly made pancakes. So I think the the tool that I use comes from Brene Brown's work in running organizations. And she helpfully gave five C's, color, context, connective tissue, cost, and consequence. So Mm. color is paint the picture of what you want if this event or this program is successful. So if it's to establish lay-led pastoral ministry, how many people would you see on that team? What kind of skills would they have? How often would they be meeting with parishioners? If it's a children's ministry event, how many people would attend? What's the, what does it look like? What do parents feel like? And what do children feel like as they're arriving and as they're leaving? Like paint the picture as clearly as you can. The context is how does this fit in to the, the, you know, the whole year of programming or kind of our strategic goals and all that connective tissue is what other ministries or parts of our organization does this touch? If we're, if we're doing a children's ministry event, are there ways, does that connect to our ministry to parents or whatever? If it's a worship event, how does that impact our children's ministry or our research? So connect, who else does this impact? If we do this event, is this going to, how is this going to 
affect mm-hmm. the other parts of the organization cost like thinking through do i have a budget i'm you know i'm asking to run this thing like how much is it going to cost and there can be non-monetary non-monetary costs as well timing or space utilization mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff and then consequence like what are what will be the impact if this goes through well or doesn't go through so the five c's color context connected tissue cost and consequence and so for the leader the work is to get clear with oneself what do i want honor and respect the person to whom they're delegating by communicating clearly what is the the what you're trying to do so delegation there's no secret except try to communicate clearly going mm-hmm. through and have that feedback loop at the end and when a ball is dropped or the thing doesn't come through the way you had hoped don't be a screamer uh, I know so many churches where the organization runs on fear and shame mm. because the leader does not clearly paint the picture at the beginning, freaks out when it doesn't go well, is all about looking for who to blame, never takes responsibility on themselves for it. And I, I promise you, if an event doesn't go well, the person who who ran it knows it too and doesn't mm-hmm. need more shame from yeah. you. So instead of coming at them confrontationally, come side by side. How could we have done this better? What can we learn from this? Yeah, that's great. And and I will also include a link to Brene Brown's book, Running Organizations, in the show notes too, for everyone who's listening to this while driving or running and couldn't find a pencil. To please don't write things while you're driving. <laughs> Not safe. Yeah. And, you know, a, a point occurred to me when it comes to trusting people to take ownership of these things and also majoring in the majors is to when you're setting the stage, helping people see this is how this connects to our church and to other ministries and how we are sharing the gospel with our community. This is how really yummy donuts and some hot coffee is connecting to people knowing more about the goodness of God and the forgiveness of Jesus. And then, and then when the coffee doesn't come on time or some, or the donuts are stale or, or whatever, even with snafus, can still be infused with so much grace and so much love and so much peace when the majors are the majors and when people are able to take ownership in this spirit of responsibility. And when you trust that, that God is working in it, even when it looks like a failure to you, when you are a non-anxious presence in the, in the face of frustration or, or embarrassment, that's a witness to people because they're facing that in their lives every single day. They face that in their jobs. They face that with their families. And so they're looking for you to lead differently. And we need to exhibit that. And especially, I really love what you said, Aaron, about criticism of worship. It's one of my pet peeves. I've, I've participated in a couple of churches where the end of every Sunday was a bashing or whatever went wrong. And it it sucks the joy out of worship. And we're all supposed to be enjoying it. It's not a performance, it's worship. And um, and so thank you for, for raising that. Yeah. And by the way, what not to delegate for ministry leaders, pastoral care to the patriarchs and matriarchs of your congregation. I still hear about funerals that such and such rector 50 years ago didn't officiate because it was like a founding person. And, you know, it's one thing if you're in the French Alps, when that happens, it's another thing if you're an hour drive away and maybe, maybe that's unhealthy to expect the rector or the senior leader to come back and do a funeral for somebody who has poured their 
heart and soul and is sort of a leading member of the congregation. So I, I don't know that I'd make a hard and fast rule about whatever the case may be, but I will say that something that somebody told me at the beginning of my ministry was you write your own story. What stories do you want the congregation to tell about your time among them? And let's say somebody who was a founding leader of the parish and served sacrificially at that congregation for 50 years, I would want the story possibly to be that that Aaron took a break from meditating in Marfa or whatever it was and and came and officiated that service. Obviously, there are times you can't do that and reasons that it can't be done. But just sometimes I think when the senior leader has to show up, there's more art than science to that. But that's something I'd be really careful about, about delegating. Uh, so that's a little side, little footnote for you, Amber. Thank you. You know how much I love them. Yes. I think there's a lot of wisdom there, Aaron. Thank you. Okay, next question. Overwhelm exclamation point. What do you do if you just, you just got too much to do? There's, mm. and, and, and this email went on to say, I thought this was great. Too many broken people crying for help. Too many system expectations asking for your newsletter article and annual report and stewardship letter, <laughs> dot, 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 dot. <laughs> so there's just too much administrative stuff, ministry stuff. We've already talked about delegation. We've already talked about emails. Yeah. I think another tack we can take with this is a, a different direction on this is what do you personally do when you start to feel overwhelmed? What are some tips that you can share? Yeah, I used to, I started my, my prayer journey asking God to fix all the things that were on my list that I knew that I couldn't do. And that was good for a while, but a deepening prayer was for him to show me what wasn't necessary. And to help me be okay with that stuff not getting done. But the easiest thing to lose track of in a busy life is listening prayer at the beginning of the day. And it's so easy to just move into what is dinging on your device and who's yelling for breakfast and trying to get kids to school and then get to church. And But the truth is that, you know, we all know the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, and there is always going to be more work than you can do. Like every single day, there's more work than you can do. And especially, you know, if you're planting a new church, sometimes you don't even know how to start your day. And yeah. so that sort of starting in prayer and, you know, whether your day is a blank page or like a list of a mile long, remember that the definition of success is accomplishing the work that God has set for your day. And that he won't give you more than you, than you can accomplish, even when it feels like it. And so usually if you're feeling like there's more than you can accomplish, you're probably focusing on things that aren't mission critical, even though they feel that, you know, they have the tyranny of uh, the tyranny of feeling critical. So turning to him and asking, how would you have me participate in your work today? His work, not ours, his ambition, not ours, his expectations, not the vestries, you know, not ours. It's the only way to anchor it for the long term in ministry. But you know, it's 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 easier said than done. And it's a practice that takes a long time. And it's the hardest thing to do when you're in a panic. So it's something that you have to build yes. before the panic sets in. Yeah. Yeah. Good word. Aaron, what is your what's your practice here or your strategy? What what do you tend to go to in these moments? So I'm gonna say yes to prayer and reminding oneself and hearing from God, I love you, minister, beloved child, and and to 
rest in the work of the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. And sometimes that looks for me like prayer. And sometimes it looks like me on my run yesterday, listening to Lizzo singing her song special, which is the title track of the album of the same name (laughs) saying over and over you're special. And I was almost about to cry on my run, which doesn't happen that much because it is true that clergy often hear criticism and don't often, they, they feel like they are pouring out to so many other people. They don't always feel like they anybody's pouring into them, which is where a good bishop comes in and having a, a mm-hmm. good therapist or spiritual director and all that. But, you know, so for me, that that it was two of my ways to deal with overwhelm. One, physical activity, getting the heart rate up, getting oxygen in the blood and sweating. That releases a lot of the stuff that your body keeps from the stress that you have all day long. You know, that old that phrase and the book of the same name, the body keeps score, like that is true. I've found only one way to discharge that for me, and that's getting my heart rate up and sweating, whether that's through going for a vigorous walk or going for a run or or... or at a wedding reception, that's been some of the most healing times <laughs> when the band starts and Whitney Houston yeah. is saying, I got to dance with somebody. Like, that's a really healing thing for me. But um, I don't know if this is TMI. The other thing I would say- Well, you didn't for me tell us in, about your competitive hula hooping. That would have been TMI. Mm, yes, that that will, that will we're not going to say any more about that. I told you, Amber, we wouldn't discuss my personal life. No. Okay, sorry. Uh, sorry, I always yeah. go there. Have you seen the the Will Ferrell SNL? I think it's SNL where he's got, maybe it's Conan. He's got like a bird on his shoulder and he's like, why do you have a bird on your shoulder? I told you, Colin, we were not going to discuss my personal life. Um, <laughs> but I, pets, having pets is a great way to discharge as well. They, they are humbling. The other thing though, that I have found very helpful, two kinds of meditation. And I use both the Calm and the Headspace app, depending on my mood noting the thoughts that are passing through one's brain, like clouds passing through the sky, just focusing on the breath, kind of getting out of that negative loop in one's head of just constantly cycling through the problems. The other thing, the other meditation app I use is called tapping. It's definitely not from a Christian perspective, but it seems to really work with how the brain is wired. So tapping is something where you tap on different points on your face and on your, your collarbone, your kind of your upper body, you listen to this thing, it guides you through just tapping on, again, it sounds weird, and I hope the Living Church doesn't get emails <laughs> about this, but there's something about touching one's body while while kind of meditating on what your brain is doing, and that repetitive kind of percussive thing, which for me has worked, I don't want to say miracles, that's too strong, but it has, I guess, used however my body is wired neuro neurobiologically and physically to sometimes bring down that stress response that's happening in the moment. So there's one of these tapping meditations called How to Have a Productive Day, which to me has been a lifesaver to do that in the beginning of the day. There's a, a tapping meditation to do before sleep, which is quiet my racing mind, which to me also helps me so much because that's when all the stuff I haven't done in the day starts to come back and attack me like a swarm of hornets. Yep. And that How to Quiet Your Racing Mind has been one of the most significant things in my life of the last five years, I would say, to help me have good sleep, because it's hard to do ministry if you don't get good sleep. So those are the things I found that are really helpful. That's great. And when it comes to tapping, don't worry, people, the podcast audience can handle tapping. And it makes me think too, if if anyone's heard of EMDR therapy. Yes. And I just thought when you were describing it of, I mean, we have a tapping meditation we do. If you're someone who genuflects, you know, you exactly. create the sign of the cross on yourself. 
that's tapping yourself and, and centering in the truth of the Holy Trinity. And, you know, sometimes it's just a way of saying, I'm here right now, Lord, Mm -hmm. or okay, here I am in church now. I'm not anywhere else. And so I don't think that it's that weird. There seems to be something deep where we feel the need to um, make physical contact with our bodies while our brains are thinking about something that seems to be important, whether you put your hand over your heart when you say the Pledge of Allegiance, mm-hmm. when you make the sign of the cross at the reading of the gospel, all these different things that we do, it seems like we know that we're like this. And so for me, tapping has yeah. been a, and and there's probably some self-affirmations if you go through the whole tapping meditation library that sound a little, you know, maybe as a Christian person, you might sure. say, I don't know about that. Sure. But those two ones I've just given you, those are money. And those have been real life changers for me. Awesome. Yeah. A grain of holy salt, grain of holy salts. We can do that. There it is. Yeah. And that, that brings everything that you said just now, Aaron, what that brings forward for me is the way that overwhelm is so physical. The manifestations yes. of it are physical even if the causes aren't all physical, but we're, again, you can never hear enough. You are a creature. You have limits. You have a body. God became human and incarnate. If God is not too good for a body, you're not too good to have a body and to have to deal with its limits and also do things for yourself to help yourself that are physical as well as emotional and spiritual and mental and uh, sometimes related to spreadsheets. I am just going to go ahead and wrap us up. If either of you have a final thing to share, we could do that with the final two minutes we have. Well, I would just say uh, audiobooks also, if you have something you want to read, sometimes clergy think that they need to read things that I have less and less time to do that, but I can listen to audiobooks. So that's just a little final thing. If there's a management book or a, something about executive functioning that you think would be helpful, don't be afraid to spend the $14 on the audiobook. I give you permission. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And for me, I would also commend the book, The One Thing. Okay. Thank you. Well, I've been speaking today with the Reverend Canon Kimberly Filer and the Reverend Aaron Zimmerman. Thank you both so much. This is so helpful. I know that you're going to rock somebody's world. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks so for having us. It's great meeting you, Aaron. Thanks for tuning into the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. In two weeks, join us back here for some coffee talk with the new rector of Church of the Incarnation in Dallas, Texas, Christopher Bealey, formerly the director of the Anglican Episcopal House of Studies at Duke, about Anglican relationships, the future of the church, and other things that have been on his mind lately as a leader. Until then, our producer is Leslie Thompson. I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it's been good to be with you. Peace. Peace.